Welcome to the Wealth Studying Podcast. This is episode 120. It's June 15th, 2015. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. I wanted to give you an update on what's going on in the market right now. I've gotten a lot of questions. A lot of people are concerned with the way the market uh, tried to recover last week and then fell apart and dropped further today. So we're going to talk about that. I also want to remind you that even though this is a timely podcast, what we're going to talk about today is not just specific to what's going on in the market right now. We'll be talking about moving averages and how you can apply that to a stock chart to get a feel for the personality of that particular stock or index. And then from there, you can make a prediction as to what's likely to happen in the future by looking for anomalies in the way the market's performing today versus the way it had been performing over the last couple period of maybe weeks or months. Now, normally you hear me talk a lot about the 50 and the 200-day moving average. Today, I'm going to talk more about the 100-day moving average. Before I get started, I do want to say that because I'll be talking about a chart and numbers associated with that, I have put a post up over at my firm's website. That's investablewealth.com. If you'll look under the tab that says Observations and Commentary, you'll see my latest post, which is entitled S&P 500 Again Breaches Its 100-Day Moving Average. You can click on that and you'll be able to see the chart that pretty much outlines what we're going to be talking about today. So first off, let's just ask ourselves, what's going on with the market? Well, we know that the the talks between the European Union and Greece, we know those have been falling apart. This has been not only continuing drama that we've seen for the last six months, but really for the last three years. The reason it's coming to a head again is because at the end of this month, supposedly Greek will go bankrupt if they don't make their payments. That's when they, again, I say supposedly run out of money because we've heard this deadline time and time again. They always run up to the deadline and then they kick the can down the road a little longer. I suspect that's what will happen again. If you look back through some of the previous podcasts and my blogs and search on Greece, you'll, you'll find some comments I made in the past about that. Even if Greece defaults or if they get kicked out of the European Union, it isn't the end of the world. It won't be a major catastrophic event. It won't cause a liquidity or a credit crisis that will collapse the markets. It will definitely impact and affect the markets. And we could see a, you know, 5, 10, 20% correction if, if things get fearful enough over Greece. That, in my estimations, would be a good time to buy the dips and buy back into the market. The issues over Greece can definitely dampen the markets, but they're not going to create an overall financial crisis. Again, if I'm not going to talk about that today. If you want to see more about what I've already covered on Greece, again, go over to either investablewealth.com or wealthsteading.com, search on Greece. You'll be able to get caught up on my ideas there. They haven't changed. There continue to be problems about a slowdown in China. The conflict between the Ukraine and Russia hasn't been resolved. That's gone on now for about a year and a half. There's still a concern about oil prices, whether they're going to fall further or whether they're going to peak. That's a lot of uncertainty in the market. The market does not like uncertainty. And then there's always a continuing drama that we see in some of the lesser markets. For example, Venezuela is still on the verge of collapse. Again, that's not something that's going to totally blow up the financial markets. But if there's a major default there, or if something happens to either dramatically increase or reduce the oil supply coming out of Venezuela then again, that's going to affect the markets at least short term. Another potential problem out there, and I'm not hearing a lot of coverage about it in the press, but that's the pullback that we're seeing in emerging markets. Now, year to date, the emerging markets are actually doing fairly well when compared to the S&P 500. The emerging market indexes are up somewhere around, I don't know, 25 2.7% year to date. So that's pretty good. However, over the last month or so, that emerging market index has fallen over 7%. 
This most likely has to do with rising interest rates in the United States and in Europe. It's really hard to say, but it, it should be a concern for you. That should be, definitely be on your radar. You should be watching those emerging markets. They do tend to be a, a leading indicator whenever people are concerned about a global slowdown or any type of uncertainty or people pulling in and, and, with, and withdrawing their overall risk profile. Well, the emerging markets tend to be that canary in a coal mine, which give you those early indicators. So again, they're down over 7% just in the last 30 days. That's a concern. And then even here in the United States, where we do have an overall very stable economy, cracks and fissures continue to appear. Today, the Gap announced that they're closing 175 stores. Whether that's directly an impact to lower consumer spending or different trends and tastes within the teenage consumer or whether all those sales are just going online to someplace like Amazon, you know, that's a debate we can have another day. But the gap closing down all these stores, again, just is, is another example of the continuing saga that traditional brick-and-mortar retailers are having, and that's not going to go away anytime soon. So just with those few things I mentioned, you can see that there's a lot of pitfalls, a lot of headwinds that could be affecting the economy, whether it's Russia or China or Greece or retail sales that's going to slow things down this summer, or maybe it's just overall rising interest rates in the United States. We've talked in the past about the rising labor costs and the lack of productivity, that if that continues, it's bound to impact corporate profits. You know, whether it's one or two or all these things combined. Now, as an investor in the stock market, in my opinion, you should be more concerned with the actual volatility that's taking place in the market and less concerned with the reasons why. Now, it's just human nature that we want to know cause and effect and that we always want to know the answer to things because we have a 24-hour news cycle, because there are so many news outlets and media outlets and cable TV channels and talking heads going on 24-7. We tend to think that we live in a world where everything can be explained. Well, the reality is that few things can actually be explained. I would argue that most of the things that we think that we know because of conventional wisdom or because of consensus, that they're probably not as truthful or don't have the impact as much as we think they do. Again, this is due to human nature. We want to live with security and with assurance. And so a way to do that is to be able to explain the cause and effect of things. Well, the stock market is a very uncertain place where prices swing and move and readjust, not because of one or two or three little events, but literally because of the interactions of the seven billion people that live on the face of this earth. And it's all those human interactions and exchanges that take place that collectively create and make the stock market. So right now, particularly when we're seeing a lot of uncertainty, a lot of turbulence and volatility in the stock market, don't look for the one or two big reasons of why things might be happening. I think it would be more prudent for you to focus on the fact that it is happening and then let history work itself out and we can come back five or six or ten months from now when we have 2020 hindsight and we can come up with a better rationalization for what's going on. Now, I know many of you are seeing the volatility in the markets. We started out early last week with all the indexes being down, and then it looked like we were going to have a recovery, but by Friday, things started to fall apart. They dropped again today. Right now, with the major indexes, we see the NASDAQ hovering just above its 50-day moving average, and both the Dow Jones Industrial Average and the S&P 500 have again broken down and breached their 50-day moving averages. That's important to take note of. Because generally, the personality of this market has been to fall down to about the 50-day moving average and then to recover and to go on fairly quickly and make new highs. 
Well, since that recovery appeared to break down last week, that's got a lot of people concerned. I likewise am concerned, but I also want to offer you a little bit of reassurance because things may not be as bad as they appear. I think we're in a position right now where it's really a 50-50 chance where the market could go either direction. It could still break up to go on to make new highs, or we could see things deteriorate and see it break down and fall further from here. The reason I say that it's so uncertain right now is because we can point to both bad things and good things that are happening in the charts. Now, as far as the bad things happening, specifically on the S&P 500, right now, today, we see the closing price being below the 5-day moving average, being below the 10-day moving average, and being below the 50-day moving average. We also, and this is extremely important, we also see the S&P 500 today dropping below its 100-day moving average. And we're going to come back to that and, and talk in a little more detail in a few minutes on that. But when you look at major moving averages, right now the S&P 500 is really only trading above its 200-day moving average. It's broken trend and it's trading below all those other significant moving averages that we like to look at for short-term and near-term trends. The fact that it tried to recover last week and then fell apart again uh, on Friday and today, that again is a very negative sign. Now that's all the bad news. Let's flip over to the good news. The good news is is that the S&P 500 is trading above its 200-day moving average. That is positive. It's not only trading above its 200-day moving average. Roughly, I'd say it's trading about 2% or a little more than 2% above the 200-day moving average. So that's a pretty decent cushion. The 200-day moving average offers a great deal of support to a major index like the S&P 500. And so as long as it can stay above that, or even if it comes down and, and bounces off the 200-day moving average, that's a very good sign. And for right now, with the personality of this market and the way we've seen it trading in the last two, maybe three years, there's just been a great deal of support at the 200-day moving average. You can really look at that as maybe the, uh, the last line of defense. And so even if it gets down to the 200-day moving average or breaches it a little bit, Based on the personality of this market over these last couple years, we've seen that it's highly resistant, highly resilient, and likely to recover. So that's all good news. The other bit of good news, I would say, is that in the volatility that we've seen over the last two weeks or so, even though we've seen the market drop down quite a bit and, and give back a lot of its gains, we're not seeing extreme panic selling. Now, we are in the summer months, and generally volatility is below average during June, July, and August. But whenever there's a major crisis, whenever there's a major panic, no matter what season or what time of the year, if retail investors and large institutional investors, if they become panicked, you will see significantly above average selling, and we're just not seeing that right now. Today, even though the market was down and even though it dropped down earlier in the day, you know, quite significantly this morning, we're seeing that the volume was probably, I don't know, 7 10% below the three-month average. So to me, that provides evidence that we're not seeing investors that are totally spooked and panicked. Um, you know, like when you yell fire in a crowded movie theater and everybody runs towards the exits. That's what you would see in a panicked market, and we're not seeing that right now. Nor did we see that on Friday. On Friday, and this is when a lot of the Greek fears started to resurface, that was also when the S&P 500 again broke below its 50-day moving average. Well, even on that day, we didn't see any significant increase in, in trading volume. In fact, it was well off of its three-month moving average, probably in the neighborhood of, I don't know, close to 20% less volume than you would expect for a Friday afternoon. So again, that's a good sign. 
Now, things are not great because even last week when we saw the recovery, particularly on Wednesday when the market shot up, oh, I don't know, S&P 500, I believe, went up 1.2, 1.3% last Wednesday. Well, the trading volume that day was pretty much flat. It was pretty much even with the three-month moving average. So we're not seeing any real excitement on the days when the market's moving up, nor are we seeing panic selling when the market's moving down. Those are actually good signs for a stable flat market. So for those of you that are currently buying and holding, a stable flat market is a good thing. The other bit of good news that I would have, and I would say that, again, although the market is, has been troubled, although it's been shaken up, it has not yet fallen apart. And that's not to say that it won't, but for right now, it is maintaining stability. So that other bit of good news, and this is relevant to today's trading, and that's that although the market was down significantly this morning, it did recover, and although it didn't recover at its high for the day, we did see a positive reversal where I'd say the market closed somewhere in the upper third of its intraday trading range. Those things that I just mentioned, in my opinion, pretty much balance out all the negative things that I had just said about the market. And so that gets back to why I said right now, I really think we're in a 50-50 situation. But I bring this up and I take the time to explain all these things because I want you to be able to look at the market, look at these charts and look at the news and be able to better think for yourselves. Whenever you turn on the financial channels or the cable news or read the headlines on the internet, you always see extremes. You always see black and white. You're constantly being told that one billionaire thinks the market's going to go up 20% and then just below it will be an article from another billionaire saying that he's liquidated his stocks and he thinks that we're going to hit a depression. The media always presents the extreme sides of the argument for you. They know that that's what creates emotion. And ultimately, all they want to do is sell advertising. They really don't care about informing you. But you, as an individual investor, you don't want to focus on the extremes. You want to try and drill down and get as close to the truth as you can. And right now, in my opinion, the truth is that it's a 50-50 bet that the market could either go up 2 or 3% or it could go down 2 or 3%. No one has a crystal ball. At this point right now, there's not enough indicators one way or the other for anybody to be able to, with a great deal of assurity, to be able to predict this market uh, any more accurately than just flipping a coin. Now, having said that, I do want to focus on one other indicator, and the indicator that I want to talk about is the 100-day moving average. I generally don't talk about it, but it is something that I consistently look at. A few months back, it is something that I posted a blog about over at investablewealth.com. I think that article was entitled, Swing Trading in One Chart. And that's where I drew out a chart and, and basically said that over the last 20 years or so, had you simply followed a strategy of buying a major index like the S&P 500 when it broke out above its 100-day moving average and sold that index any time that it broke below its 100-day moving average, then for the most part over the last 20 years, you would have avoided the major catastrophic losses like the dot-com bubble and like the housing bubble. And then likewise, you would have participated for the most part in all the major run-ups. Now, it's not a fail-safe system. In this podcast, I can never give you recommendations or advice. I simply put that chart out there for educational purposes. Look at it, study it, learn the concepts, and you can draw your own conclusions. But today, the reason I want to focus back on the 100-day moving average is because that moving average has done a very good job of illustrating a support level for the S&P 500 over the last two or three years. 
And to help illustrate this point, again, you can go over, you can look at that chart that I posted today. That'll help put some context and, and put an image to the words that I'm going to be speaking to you right now. I charted out the performance of the S&P 500 for these past six months. From January 1st until today, the black line on there represents the closing price. Now, the red line is the 100-day moving average. And when you look at that chart, you can see that for the last five months, the index has only broken below that moving average four or five times. I think when I counted them, uh, today was only the fifth time that the S&P 500 has broken below its 100-day moving average. This moving average has done a very good job of showing support. Some of you may be asking yourselves, well, why? Well, is it because of program trading? Is it because it's just built into everybody's algorithm? Is it because of some type of Fibonacci retracement number or some Elliott wave or some other more sophisticated, complicated strategy? Well, I really don't know. And personally, I don't care. All that matters to me is whether or not it's a reliable indicator. And by drawing and charting it out, we can see that it has been. When you look at the performance of the S&P 500 over the last six months, you'll see that maybe five times the index has broken down below that 100-day moving average. And when it has, it's only stayed there for a day or two. Looking at that chart, just quickly counting them, there are probably about four events over the last five months where the index hit that 100-day moving average and then immediately bounced right back up off of it, just like a ball bouncing off of a tennis court. That's the characteristic of this market. Now, the 100-day moving average isn't infallible. It isn't golden. Other markets, other time periods, other indexes, you might have to use a 75-day moving average or a 22-day moving average or a 320-day moving average. Those are things you need to factor out and find out on your own, and they're constantly changing. In my 30 years of experience, what I found out is that all these algorithms and all these trading strategies, they all work until they don't. So there's nothing magical about this 100-day moving average. It just happens to be a good indicator right now for the personality of the market. That's all we can use it for. You don't want to bank all your money or your entire future that this 100-day moving average is with 100% accuracy and certainty going to be able to predict the performance of the market next week. But what we do want to use it for is just as a sounding board, as a method to compare the market and to understand its personality. I talk about personality in the stock market because it's so important. I mean, think of the personality of the people around you. You know how your boss reacts. You know how your spouse reacts. You know how your children react. So you can judge their personality from day to day. If your spouse comes home from work and they're in a good mood, you can assume that probably something good happened at work to them that day. If you're a kid and you, you know, see your dad or your mother coming home from work, and they're in a really good mood and they're happy. You know, maybe they got a raise at work. Maybe they got some type of acknowledgement. Whatever it is, it really doesn't matter to you, but you can tell that they're happy about something. And so that's probably a good time to ask them to borrow some money or to get the keys to the car or for an increase in your allowance or if you can stay out later than your curfew, right? I mean, you know those things. You can just sense that. You can tell the personality of the people around you and then you make judgments as to what that means to you. You know, likewise, if your mother or dad is in a bad mood because they had a bad day at work, you're not going to ask them to borrow the keys to the car. Or if you come home and your spouse is in a really bad mood, well, maybe it's a good idea for you to cook dinner because chances are they're not going to want to cook dinner. See, these are predictions that you can make and outcomes that you can assess. Well, that's the same thing we do with the stock market. 
If we know that the personality of the S&P 500 over the last couple years and over the last six months in particular, well, if that personality has been to either bounce off its 100-day moving average or, or to maybe remain well above its 100-day moving average, well, anytime it breaches or falls below that 100-day moving average, you need to be concerned just like you would be concerned if your parents or if your spouse came home from work angry. When it's broken below that support level, those are not times to be thinking about all the dividends you're going to be collecting or about how your assets are going to be appreciating. These are times when it's very likely that the market will turn on you, that it's likelier to go lower than it is to go higher. Now, again, I stress it's only likely. We can only use these charts to help us weed our way through the uncertainty. It's not a crystal ball. We cannot predict the future. But I would tell you, again, this is over my 30 years of experience. If you can find a support level and you can find a personality of a stock and how it reacts to that support level, well, when it breaks that support level and when it falls down, you have to be very cautious. Today, the S&P 500 did break down below its 100-day moving average, but it's only slightly below it. So that's the good news. The bad news is that it was just only last week that it also dropped below its 100-day moving average. Remember I said there's only been like five times all year that it's happened? Well, two of those times have occurred over the last four trading sessions. That's a concern because remember, the personality of this market is to hit its 100-day moving average and then bounce up above it. So that's why I continue to emphasize we are at that 50-50 level. If the market can recover and not fall significantly below this 100-day moving average, then it is likely that it will recover and go on to make new highs. On the other hand, because we are in the summer doldrums, because there's a lot of drama going on with Greece, because there continue to be fears of a global slowdown. As I mentioned, we've seen the emerging markets drop over 7% in the last 30 days. If that drags and weighs down on our market, I think we could have that correction, that 10 to 20% pullback. And so what I suggest that you do over these coming days is you watch that 100-day moving average. And if the S&P 500 closes 1% or more below that 100-day moving average, I think that that greatly increases the likelihood that we'll see the S&P 500 drop down to at least the 200-day moving average. And a drop to the 200-day moving average would put the S&P 500 somewhere around 2048. Right now we're sitting in about 2084. So roughly that's a drop of about 40 points. That's about a 2% drop from where we are right here. And so if the index drops down to its 200-day moving average, then we'll have to do a similar analysis that we're doing right now because that's a different level of support. The other thing I would caution you on is that this Friday is options expiration. By the very definition, we should see a large increase in the trading volume that day. So something else you want to keep your eye on is how the market closes out this week. Does it close down significantly and does it close down in very high volume? So pay attention to those two things and see what happens on Friday. Well, I think I've given you enough to think about. Until our next episode, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best of returns.